Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Right beforehand, Brad uh, said, um, can I lift it? There we go. He said, I've got a word from the Lord for you. I said, really, what's that? He said, don't screw it up. And, uh, and so it, it is good to be here. It's good to be in Canada. I get a little confused sometimes about where I am because I travel quite a bit. I've got to get settled here and get this thing set up. If not, does that mean I'm done? Or When I hear the buzzer in the back, it means I've either scored or, uh, or something. I've got to make sure I stay on track. I, I do seminars most of the time, and so I get to wander all over the place and, and, uh, and come back. But on this, I, I, I make sure that I, I follow what I need to follow. Last night, we were sitting around talking before we went out in aid, and, and uh, uh, I made a comment. We were watching the, uh, the Vancouver Canucks hockey games, and I love hockey games. I, I don't understand really what's going on, other than I know it's pretty intense, and so me wanting to connect with, uh, with everybody and, and make sure that they understood that I kind of knew about hockey, and I've toured Canada speaking for a group here, Focus on the Family, and I just wanted them to know that, that I'm kind of into it. I said, yeah, yeah, like the Canucks are playing the Toronto Blue Jays tonight, <laughs> and, uh, and one of the guys said, Mark, the, that's a baseball team. And I'm going, oh, I knew that. I'm just checking you to make sure. I get confused sometimes. I, I, I really get confused. My travel kind of has me going all over the place. I have over 5 million miles on American Airlines. And, and uh, so occasionally they allow me to fly the plane. And uh, I've always said, once you get to some level, you ought to be able to do something else, like sit in the jump seat, you know, just something when you, when you travel that much. But in all the traveling, it's interesting, even with the GPS, even with... Um, even with, uh, you know, GPS on my phone, everything, I still get lost at times. And I want that to kind of be one of these, um, one of those thoughts that I want, to, I want you to stick with this morning. We've just been singing a bunch of songs, and I've been writing down some of the lyrics. Lost, the lost are saved, they find their way at the very sound of your name. It's grace that reached down and touched me. All condemned, feel no shame. At the sound of His name. I just want you to kind of plug that into the back of your head and think about grace as we walk through some stuff this morning. I, I, I get confused a little bit when I get lost. Even this morning I felt kind of lost. I woke up and I didn't know where I was. I kept waking up all night thinking that, okay, is, is my computer going to change the time or does my phone change the time? And, and the alarm clock, is somebody going to change it? And so we asked the girl downstairs to give us a call we were at a hotel, and, um, and, uh, and I said, okay, so the time you're calling me at, is it the post-time or the pre-time? And, and she said, no, so I kept waking up all night to check to make sure that I was going to get up on time, and I was so confused when I got up this morning, I kind of forgot where I was, so I had to look at the phone and see which city I was in. I was just kind of lost, and then, so I got in the shower and got out, and I ended up getting my Preparation H mixed up with my toothpaste, and now my, gu- now my gums are all receded and my rear end's on fire. But I'm anxious, but I'm excited. I'm excited to be here this morning. <laughs> and so if I'm moving around a little bit, you'll know why, okay? So, so walk with me as we go through this. I know what it's like to be lost. Um, sometimes I think we forget about that we were all once lost at some times. But I know what it is to be lost. There's a tendency that, that, that we raise our kids in the formula that we've been taught by our parents. 
in the formula that we know to be true. Or perhaps you're like me. My mom and dad gave me a great example of how not to parent my kids. And so I raised my kids with the idea, I'm going to do something different. I want it to look different. I want it to be completely different. And it's amazing to me, it's amazing to me that one of the roles that we all play is helping kids move from dependence on us when they're first born to independence. Am I right? Anybody want a 25-year-old kid dependent on you, still living at your home, not able to fly, not able to get out of the nest, not able to move on? We all want them to move to independence, right? But you and I do a lot of things that keep that from happening. And my tendency is to say that, that you know, we, we, we train our kids con- continually. I love all these little babies in here. You guys are like a fertile group or something. Or, or, you know, I don't know what you do in Canada, what you eat, but I want some of it to take home with me. But there's more babies in here than there is at the nursery at the hospital, and, uh, which is kind of cool. And, but you know what's amazing to me? And I believe in the preciousness in the, of, of a young baby even like this. What, what is he, she... Three months old? Four months old. Somewhere close to that. I've got a, uh, a granddaughter that um, just turned three months yesterday. Anybody here have grandkids? Okay, if you like your kids, you're going to love your grandkids, okay? I mean, grandkids are a reward for not killing your own kids. And uh, so you're going to absolutely love it. But one of the goals, one of the goals is to move our kids from that dependence to independence. So what we do is we spend all of our time teaching our kids and teaching our kids and teaching our kids what to do where they can move out in independence. And, we, and at some age, we kind of toss the keys to them and we let them go out on their own and they start going through different things. And, and uh, let's say they leave Van, the Vancouver area, British Columbia, and they're traveling across to the other side of Canada. And, and this is dependence and that's independence over there. So in the midst of it, you know, they go to Edmonton and Calgary and get lost, go to Saskatoon, they back up. They, they're just running all over Canada and all of a sudden our son calls and says, Dad, hey, hey, I'm lost. And Dad looks at him and goes, what do you mean you're lost? I told you what to do. I gave you a map. This is what we trained you for. This is what we taught you about. I told you what, no, no, Dad, I just, it's just been a little bit different than what, than, than, than what you taught me. It's just different. Well, what do you mean it's different? Well, Dad, Dad, you, you never taught me how to change a flat tire. You never taught me what it was going to look like when it got dark. You never taught me. It started snowing when I was out there, and I, I've never driven in the snow before. I'm from Vancouver, which evidently just rains 24-7, 365 days out of the year. On the days I'm here, this is a beautiful day. Um, now those cars coming the other way were a little bit faster than I thought. I, um, I didn't know what to do. People around me treated me different. Um, it got dark. I got scared. I got lost. His dad looks at him and says, lost. Well, then you figure it out and try to figure out how you get back on the road because I've taught you the right way. I think the world's changed a little bit, hadn't it? Every one of us in this room has says this, and I'm, I'm happy that I don't have to be raised in a culture that's so spinning out of control. My granddaughter made a comment to me this past New Year's. Y'all have New Year's here, don't you? Okay, that's good. And, uh, and, um, and we do these things in Texas. We like to blow up things and, and, and burn things. And, and so we had this big fire in our front yard. We don't live in a neighborhood. We live out in, a, out in the country. And so we take all the Christmas trees from all the houses that 
that, uh, uh, that are around us, and we pile them into one place, and we pour 10 gallons of gasoline on them, and, and uh, then wrap it with fireworks. And, and uh, I mean, just wrap it with fireworks. I mean, a thousand bucks worth of fireworks, or loonies, or whatever those things are called. And, and, uh, and, so, and so then we do this thing. We have all the kids that are with us over the break, I do something real safe and hand each one of them a Roman candle. And, um, and I say, hold the Roman candle. And we go through. And so all the neighbors come over, all of our staff and all the kids. And it's become a big tradition that everybody sits back. We light the Roman candles and all the kids get to shoot at this pile of explosives. And I mean, it lights up. It is just unbelievable. Try it this afternoon at your home. Uh, I mean, I know everybody will enjoy that. And it was interesting afterwards, my granddaughter came up and she said, hey, Papa, can we do some sparklers? And so, you know, those sparklers, those long things, the metal things, and they have the powder on them and you light them and they sparkle and stuff. That was called morning glories or whatever. And so what do kids do when you light those? What do they usually do with them? And do and write what? Their name, yeah, yeah. And so my granddaughter looks at me and she says, "This Papa, look, 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 look. I can write my name, my, my username, and my password. <laughs> She's seven years old. And don't tell me the world hasn't changed a little bit. Sometimes the way we're teaching our kids is not preparing them to survive now. We have a tendency to, raise, to, to teach them how to live in a zoo rather than preparing them how to survive in the jungle. And so what we do is we teach them ways that I think have changed in the last, in the last two or three years. There's th- something that gets completely different. And so the part of that, what happens is we get lost. Our kids get lost. And in the midst of getting lost, they don't know what to do. And the role that we play as parents, whether it's a three-month-old, whether it's a four-month-old, whether it's however age or whatever age they are, we play the important role of helping bring our kids back. And I want you to hear that. We'll spend a lot of time talking about tonight, that tonight at the seminar. I deal with kids that come from all over the country, and, and uh, all over the country of Canada, all over the country of the U.S. They come and live with us. They spend uh, 10 months with us, and we help get their lives back on track. And I've got to tell you this. Every kid that I know, with the exception of five kids, because we've had about 25, 2,600 kids live with us over the last 38 years. They're not rebellious kids. They're lost kids. And it's different. It's different when you begin to realize that we have all been lost. It's like this, very simply. You know why I pull over and help somebody when they have a flat tire? Because I remember what it feels like to have a flat tire. You know why I will help somebody do something when there's a tragedy in their family? Because I understand what it is to have a tragedy in your family and need some help from somebody else. You know why my heart goes out to a compassion of men dealing with wives that have been sexually abused? It's because I have a wife that's been sexually abused. And I know what that feels like. You start to put a face on the loss and it changes the way that you engage with kids. I tell, I tell this to all the kids that live with us. I go, look, look, if you ever get lost, you know, if you ever get lost, I want you to know there's always the light on at my home. You can always come. And the second thing is this. If you get lost, I'm coming to look for you. Just like the lost coin, just like the lost sheep, I'll come look for you. There was a young lady by the name of Emily that, that ran away from our facility. We're not a, we're not a lockdown. We're not a military uh, group. We're a, uh, a very loving, caring environment that just loves kids to death. And this little girl was just causing a lot of 
she was driving me nuts. And uh, uh, I've always wanted to write a book. Um, have you heard of the program called Growing Kids God's Way? I always wanted to write a book called Tasering Kids God's Way. And, uh, and she was kind of the focus of it. I just thought, golly, I just love to... This little girl is driving me nuts. So she ran away one night. She took off. And when she took off, she just went out roaming around for a long time. In the midst of roaming around, she gets lost herself. And then her comment, then her comment to me, as she rang the doorbell at our house at, at 4.30 in the morning, she goes, Mark, I got lost. It's so dark out here. Every road I took ended up in a dead end. And I said, well, sweetheart, that's just like your life. Come on in. Let's talk here for a minute. It was amazing to me that there's a guy named J.R.R. Tolkien who says this. It says, faithless is he who disappears when the road darkens. And I want you to hear that because we talk a lot about reaching out to the lost. We talk a lot about grace reaching to the lost. That, that we would not shame people, that, we would not, that they would not live in fear. That we move toward them by offering them the hand of grace. Am I right? You know that we just sang all those things here for the last 30 minutes? And we talk about it, yet when our own kids spin out, when we have difficulty with people, there's kids that are going to spin out from your church. There's kids that live down the block from you that, y'all call them blocks here? Is that, or is there some, somebody said kerfuffle yesterday and I thought it was a flower or something. I didn't know what it was. But evidently I have, a, I have one of those flowers. Um, it's supposed to be for in remembrance, but I can't remember what it's for. Um, no, I know it's for Remembrance Day, a Veterans Day. But, here, but here's the thing, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me that, that there's a tendency that we forget about those kids and that we've all been lost before. You know, for, we were always, I was lost and now I'm saved. And it changes the way that I engage with people. But this is what I've learned from living with all these kids. They're outside my back door. They're some of the greatest kids in the world. Um, they're great kids. They're not these little messed up kids that live on the other side of the tracks. We live right next to our railroad, so I know, what it, I know what it means to live on the other side of the tracks. They're great kids. But I've learned a number of things from them. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. The first thing is this, that conflict is a precursor to change. Conflict is a precursor to change. Every one of us in this room has a tendency to avoid conflict. Am I right? You walk the other way, you move the other direction. Um, like the barred gates of a citadel, Scripture says, is one who has been offended by somebody else. And so we walk in another direction. I would submit to you that we do that to our wives, we do it to our husbands, we do it to our spouses, we do it to our parents, we do it to our kids, we do it to our neighbors, we do it to everybody around us. Love me, love me, love me when I'm doing everything right. But let me step out and do something wrong. And all of us in this room have done something wrong. Let us do something wrong. And we have a tendency to walk away. And grace would be moving towards somebody during the time that they've offended you the most. There's a story of a young girl named Bree that lived with us. It was from Eugene, Oregon. And she's an interesting little girl because she taught me a lesson that, that, um, that was somewhat different. And I really think and then in the sovereignty of God that every kid that comes and lives with us, God has really placed them there to teach me a lesson about something. So that's what I do seminars about all across North America, just helping people take those lessons and learn from them so you don't ever have to send your child to us. 
Bree was one of those girls that, that was very hard. She was shut down. A number of things had happened in her life. She wouldn't talk to people. She wouldn't discuss anything. She was always angry. I always called her the most angry girl that I've ever met. One afternoon, it was storming outside. We had a, it, was, it was even more than it rained yesterday, even though I think it rained about three feet yesterday. And, and uh, it was coming down. We call them Texas frog chokers. And, uh, and the lightning was striking. I mean, it was intense. It was intense. And so here's this little girl, and she, she walks away from me, flips me off, says some things to me that I couldn't even repeat in here. And she's standing outside. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to let this continue. Sweetheart, come here. Come here, come here, come here. We've got to talk. I can't sit here. I'm trying to love you. I'm trying to move toward you. And you're doing everything possible to push me away and everybody around you. Why don't you tell me what you want? She looked at me and she goes, you don't know what I want? I said, no, I don't know what you want. Tell me what you want. And she said this, and this was the lesson I learned. She said, I want you to love me the most when I deserve it the least. I sat there and I just started crying as I looked at her and I thought... Have we missed that? Have we missed the opportunity when those people are lost and difficult and having a a struggle of a time in their life that we've missed the basic thing that people want to be loved? Loved at a time that they need it the most, desire it the most, and are longing for that? Don't you desire the same thing? I don't care whether you like me when I do everything well, but you know, I really would love to have an approval of people around me when I don't do things well. When I'm a mess. I'm one of those imperfect guys. If I talk long enough, you're going to find out a lot more of my imperfections. My family's not perfect. The people I deal with aren't perfect. The families I deal with aren't perfect. They're not perfect. And I've come to embrace that somewhat. But the tendency is we have more of an opportunity and more of a tendency to move toward judgment than we do to move toward compassion. And when you take and put a face on loss... And what lost is, it changes the way that we engage with people. Changes it completely. John 8, 1 through 11. Here's one scripture I want to read to you. And, and, uh, and then we're going to look at another scripture here in just a minute. You guys remember the story of the, of the lady that was caught in adultery? Really the young girl, 14, 15 year old girl that was brought to Jesus. And, and uh, um, you know, the teachers came and, and, uh, and said, te- and came to Jesus came to Jesus and said, uh, this, uh, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. Do you remember this story? And then said, what should we do? And so Jesus knelt down. said, Jesus bent down and started to write in the ground with his finger. You ever wonder? You ever wonder what he wrote in the ground? Y'all read scripture here? Y'all do. Remember the story? He starts writing in the ground, right? I'm going to tell you what he wrote. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any of you who is without sin cast the first stone. Now you remember the story? Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground again. At this, those who heard it began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. And he looked at her and he said, Woman, who are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. And you wonder what they've written in the sand? This is what he wrote. And you can tell by the way it was the older men that left first. And the only sound was the dropping of those rocks on the ground, the thumps as you heard as they walked away. 
This is what he wrote. What if this was your daughter? Changes it, doesn't it? Changes it completely. When you start looking at the story, when you move from, when you move from judgment to compassion. And you start to engage that this could be my kid. This could be somebody special. When we put a face on conflict, this is the second thing. When we put a face on conflict, it changes the way that we approach the situation. That's a wonderful sound. I love it. A move away from judgment to love in a new way. I spent more time in my life focusing on the Great Commission than I did focusing on the Great Commandment. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. But many times our intent to love our kids gets interpreted as a judgment, as judgment, doesn't it? When we love on them, they feel like we're judging them in some way. I've never heard parents say, we want to be judgmental parents. I've never heard parents say that. I have heard thousands of kids say this. My parents are the most judgmental people I know. So much that I wrote about it in a, in a book, and I don't usually read to people because I hate being read to. But I wrote and I said, a man recently told me that his uh, older kids all hated him and wanted nothing to do with him. He said that he just couldn't understand why they feel that way as he's been teaching them the same way all of their life. Sadly, each of his kids I've talked to all complain that he's a man who loves the Lord, knows Scripture well, yet he's the most judgmental person they know. Good intent, but a lack of understanding that gives a way to poor timing in his approach. Follow me on this? Even sadder, none of his kids want to be around this fountain of wisdom they call Dad and can't wait to be as far away from him as possible. How I wish he knew the following things. And here, if you're sitting there doing this, well, I don't do that. Now, wait a minute. My child's three months old. It's four months old. I don't have to worry about that. Wait a minute. My child's seven years old, and they're doing great. My child's 10, loves me to death, just gave me a coffee mug this morning, says, I love mom, world's greatest dad, all that stuff. Every parent that sent a child to me has said this, that it's turned on a dime. Their child goes upstairs, one person, and comes down the next day, somebody completely different. And so I look at it and I go, if you think, and this is one of the hardest things that I have is convincing people about the kids that live with us are no different than your kids or this little one or this little one. They're no different. They're no different than my kids. They're great kids that all come from the pew, come from the chairs. They know church. They know scripture like the back of their hand. They're great kids. Something turned and something spun out. And so here this dad is struggling with, how do I engage with my child differently? How I wish he knew these things. And this is what the kids said. I wish he knew that not every teachable moment needs to be a time of teaching. I wish he knew that asking his kids, are you asking me a question or wanting my opinion, is a wonderful way to respect kids and offer help rather than shove it down their throat through lecture. Just a word to the wise. If you're still lecturing your kids, moms, after they're 13 years old, you're pushing them away. That he's taught his kids well and he doesn't have to keep reminding them where they've blown it. They already know. That he doesn't have to point out, I wish his dad knew this, that he doesn't have to point out every way their kids can do it better. I wish this dad knew that even a fool appears wise when he keeps his mouth shut. That even in all his well attentions, he's missing the heart of his kids who really long to have a relationship with him. 
I wish he knew that his judgmental comments concerning the definition of marriage, Mormons, homosexuals, Muslims, potheads, and their friends have moved his kids to ignore all the wisdom he shares in his conversation. I wish he knew that in his heart he feels like he's fulfilling his parenting role, but in their heart, he's an extremely judgmental man and one to be avoided. This is one of those things where David wrote in Scripture and he said, Lord, search me, know my heart, and see if there's any hurtful way in me. Look at me. Just don't look to the outside. Look to the inside. The imperfections of my life. Sometimes I don't know that I don't know. Sometimes I do things and I don't know that they're hurting other people. And perhaps if this man would pray that same prayer, God would reveal something to him that would change their life. The third thing I learned was this. Allow your relationship with Christ to move you, move you to encourage and comfort, not to be authoritative and judgmental. And if you would, look, at, look with me at 1 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 12. If not, it's up here on the... I love it. I love it. 1 Corinthians 2, 3 through 12. It says, For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Kind of the role of parents here. With the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing to men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor in the pretext of greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we may have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Here's my point. And having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives as well, because you would become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You're our witnesses. And so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. And let me substitute that and toward you kids, toward you lost, toward our family. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner that's worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Okay, I'm going to go over to 1 Corinthians here. Paul wrote this, he said, And when I came to you, brethren, I didn't come with superiority of speech, nor of wisdom proclaiming to you, but, I, but proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him, him crucified. And I want you to get this. And I was with you. And I was with you. It has a lot more to do with Christian withness than witness. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. Those are the three words that I would use to describe the lost. When you get lost, when I get lost, the anxiety that builds up when we can't find our way. So it's this. Encouraging, comforting, and urging. Not correcting. Telling everybody where they've done everything wrong and telling them how they should have done it different. Here's the fourth thing. When you encounter various trials, when you encounter various trials, I think it's always asking that question, what would Jesus do? Of course, I was thinking a couple of weeks ago, if Jesus came back and wore a bracelet, 
would it say, what am I going to do now? You know, I mean, you ever, I thought that was funny. But, I, I, but what is Jesus going to do? And I think it would be this. I think it would be to engage, never disengage. Engage, never disengage for someone become, for when somebody comes, becomes lost. And believe that which is before you have been placed there for a reason. My son Adam, who's with us here today, called me a few years ago and he said, Dad, I need to tell you something. I've been having an affair with a girl out in California. I remember the comment, I go, oh, really? Really? Just got married to a girl, you know, what, a year beforehand. Really? Adam will tell you all about it if you want to corner him in a minute. And, uh, and I said, um, really? Really? In my mind, I'm going, well, what would Jesus do now? So I stood on what I knew to be true and what I knew to be right, and I said this to him. I said, well, let me make sure you understand this. Don't call me or talk to me until you call your father-in-law and tell him how you've screwed this thing up. And I got off the phone. Yeah! That was terrible. My son ends up moving out of his house. Do any of y'all work for Radisson Hotels? You know what Radisson Hotels are? Anybody work for Radisson Hotels? He moves into a Radisson Hotel. This place was a dump. An absolute dump. So he's estranged from everybody. He moves into some friends of ours' house. And then they ask him to leave. And dad wasn't there either. And in my mind, I was thinking I'm doing the right thing. But in my heart of hearts, I knew that something wasn't right. Just something wasn't right. A friend of mine from Nashville came up to see us and he said, and I kind of told him what's going on, and he goes, Mark, what'd you do that for? At a time that your son needs you the most, you've bailed on him. Another good friend of mine came back to me and said, Mark, this is what you've been practicing for all your life. Facing that which has been placed before you by God Himself and responding by His example can change your life. There's something I learned from kids, and this is what I'd like for you to think about and act on even this afternoon. There's not a one of us in this room that isn't estranged from people around us, that hasn't been offended by somebody, that hasn't been wronged by somebody else. You know, grace is, a, is an amazing thing. I think it's pretty easy for God, but I think it's very difficult for us to be graceful to people. You know, it, it's getting something that you don't deserve, right? Have we all heard that definition? Mercy is not getting something you do deserve, but grace is getting something you don't deserve. It's unmerited favor. It means I move towards somebody when they've offended me and violated my rules and violated what I believe and, and knocked down everything that I've stood for. Grace is moving toward them. It's extending a hand at a time where I really don't want to do that. But I would tell you this. If grace feels good, it probably isn't grace. Grace is hard. It's tough. And even as I say this, I'm sure that some of you are thinking of people in your own life that maybe you need to extend the hand of grace to. Put down the pride, put down all the thoughts, you owe me, you owe me, you owe me. I tell kids all the time, I owe them nothing. I want to give them everything, but I owe them nothing. 
And on this type of thing, we think, well, they did me wrong. They ought to be the ones coming back to me. Grace, everything that we've sung about this morning, would say that we move toward them. And it's my hope that as you would think through some things, you would, you would make a commitment this afternoon to change the ways that you engage with people. And it would be a commitment to remain engaged. I pray that, that, um, that you'll remain engaged with that parent that left you behind years ago. Perhaps a phone call this afternoon would move you to somewhere different. With that child who's lost, not rebellious. With that friend that offended you and needs a touch of grace in their own heart. With that boss that fired you under no reason and no circumstance and was completely out of line and you were violated terribly. Perhaps they need to hear from you as you extend a hand of grace and say, I forgive you. To the one who abused you, to the one who has treated you horribly, to the one that has done something to you and pushed you away, and where in our own love we walk away, and God would be calling us to move back to them. My prayer is that you would remain engaged with the one who was and now isn't, and would be surprised by a call from you. I pray that you would remain engaged with your ex, whatever. To hear that you've forgiven them. And I pray that you would remain engaged with your heavenly father. Even when you get lost. As the one who is never disengaged from you. My prayer is this. That God will turn the hearts of all fathers back to their kids. We'll spend a lot of time tonight talking about it. At the seminar that we've got at 7 o'clock tonight in this room. Um, There's probably not a person here that couldn't benefit from that. I don't benefit from it. Checks aren't written out to me. I volunteer my time to come and do these things. But the message is this. If you want to counter the culture that's affecting your kids, then there's some great things that you need to know to do that so that you can keep your kid from being swept away by this tsunami wave of influence in this culture that's killing our kids. Enough to the point, enough to the point that 85% of kids in North America, are leaving the church upon graduation from high school. And people go, oh, no, my kids are fine. My kids are fine. Really? Well, you just need to know about the culture and how you can deal with it differently, whether they're four months old, whether they're 25 years old. My hope is that, is that God would touch us in a special way today. Would you pray with me? Father, your word says that you're close to the brokenhearted. You tell us that you will never leave us or forsake us and you remind us that of all the things work together for good. You promise that nothing we do in your name will return void and you assure us that you will complete that which you have started. You encourage us. You promise us that if we sow, we will surely reap. You instruct us not to grow weary in doing good. You articulate the great need to love one another. You declare that you will never forget the needy and the hope of the afflicted will never perish. You swear that you will turn our mourning into dancing, our sadness into joy, and our ashes into beauty. And you instruct us to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Lord, we hang our hat on your assurance, holding fast to what you have shown, believing what you have said. For surely, surely, we would perish if we did not believe all the things that you have promised. Help us to be the people that you not only want us to be, but that you need us to be. And thank you for visiting us today and being the reason 
for our worship. Amen.